Hebrews chapter 12. They say that this is the book that proves that the man's supposed to brew the coffee, Brother Ron. Because he brews, right? That's what I've heard. Thought you'd like that, telling us them jokes here lately. I like good jokes, too. I enjoy good jokes. Jerry Clower is one of my favorite joke tellers, I guess. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll begin by reading verses 5 through 13. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take Yahweh's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by Him. For Yahweh disciplines the one He loves and punishes every son whom He receives. Endure it as discipline. Yahweh is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but He does it for our benefit so that we can share in His holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. I have been thinking a lot this week about a way, a way, in which Yahweh shows His love to His children. I've talked about this with two or three other brothers, some of which sit in here right now. This way is not in giving His children fancy things. It's not in letting everything go smooth. It's not in allowing all of our days to be days without struggles. I asked myself, as I was putting this message together, what in the world has happened to Christianity? You say that word today, and one of the things that pops into a man's mind outside of the church is a mega church with a billboard with a husband and his wife posing on it, telling you to come to the church. You know what I'm talking about. You see them all over the city. And I'll tell you what's happened. People have chunked Christianity out the window. They didn't like it, so they mixed it with anything that people already like. And they came up with a concoction where you don't have to change anything about your life. You just go to this church. They say, pick the church of your choice, and there's a gazillion of them nowadays. You go to whichever one fits your fancy and tells you exactly what you want to hear. One lie that you hear pretty often from the religious television and radio is that if you're on God's side, only the best things happen to you. And by that, they mean the best of everything by the world's standards. By the world's standards. 
I do believe that if you're on Yahweh's side, only the best things happen to you. But I do not define the word best by the definition of the world. The best things happen to you because Yahweh causes everything to happen for the good of His children. And sometimes they don't seem like the best things to us in the here and now, but they are the best things that need to happen to us by Yahweh's standard. No problems, these preachers say. Well, I don't know what life that they're living. I know that I live life on a day-to-day basis, and I know that I have my struggles and I have my trials. I have my tests. I have my ups. I have my downs. I know that I don't live on the set of Leave it to Beaver or the Waltons. Those are not real-life shows. I have some kinfolk that think the Waltons is pretty close to real life, you'd think. But they're not. Those are made-up shows. Everybody doesn't have a marriage like June and Ward Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. That's not how real life is. Those are situation shows on television then and, and even now. So what I want to do is just be real in this sermon and from this text of Scripture and talk about how that we're all real life people. We're all human beings. We all have problems and we all experience pain in our life. You know, we can act like we don't, but if you lie to yourself like that for long enough, you will eventually crash and burn very, very hard. And the reason I know that is because I've done that. I have been the man who tried to act like he had everything figured out. I've been the man who wanted everybody else to think that he, Matthew Jansen, had it all in order and didn't have any problems. But that's not the truth. That's putting on a facade. The truth is is that I'm just as messed up as anybody else. I'm just as broken I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And the sooner that you admit that, the sooner you'll go home justified. There's only two ways to pray, saints. One of them is, I thank Yahweh I'm not like everybody else. And the other one is, Yahweh have mercy on me, a sinner. One of those prayers will get you to your house justified. The other one, will make you a self-righteous, pharisaical hypocrite. The sooner you stop relying on yourself and start relying on the Messiah, the healing process will begin. That's where the healing begins. Quit looking to Matthew. Quit believing in Matthew. Believe in the Messiah. The healing process will begin. That's what I've started to do in the past couple of years, and it's helped tremendously. Listen to me. The Bible does not teach that Yahweh's children never have problems or that you can get rich quick, or that you can name it and claim it, or that you'll never get sick, or that you'll never have a hurting heart physically or spiritually, or that you are just supposed to fake it until you make it. They used to tell me that in the church that I went to. The Bible doesn't teach those things, though. The problem is is that so many quote-unquote preachers spew that New Age garbage stuff out these days that people have started to believe the word of these so-called preachers over what we've just read in Hebrews 12, 5-13. Who gives a flying flip, they think, about what the Bible says? Tell me something that tickles my itching ears. This is the truth. And let me tell you something. If everybody else is saying one thing, and you read 
opposite or different from that one thing in the Bible, do not be scared or do not be frightened to stick with what the Bible says. Don't be scared to go against the flow. Don't. In this case, the Bible says that discipline, suffering, heartache, trials, tests, and valleys are all the experience of Yahweh's children. Look at it again, Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. It says, And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take Yahweh's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For Yahweh disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son whom he receives. You have forgotten the exhortation. How many times do we forget about this? How many times do we say, Why me, Lord? As one dear, dear friend of mine said last week, he has a problem saying, what have I done to deserve this? Let me tell you something. If we got what we deserve, none of, none of us would be sitting here right now. All of us would be dead or in a ditch somewhere if we got what we have deserved. But we got what we didn't deserve. We got grace and we got mercy. We forget and we say, why me, Lord? What have I done? But the author here in Hebrews, he quotes a passage from Proverbs three eleven through 12. In verses 5 through 6, it's a quotation from the book of Proverbs. And the author is reminding us that the Older Testament is still right, it's still correct. But we've forgotten that exhortation that addresses us as children. Do not faint, the author of Proverbs and the author of Hebrews says, do not faint when you're reproved by Yahweh. Don't take His discipline lightly. Don't grow weary of Yahweh's method of making you stronger. It's His method, so it's a perfect one. Don't grow weary of Yahweh making you stronger. Did you know that any older saint that I've ever met, older believer in Christ that I've ever met, they all say the same thing. They all say this, I learned the most in my pain. I understand things through my trials that I could have never understood otherwise. Nobody learns from smooth roads. Nobody learns from never having any problems. And that is because in comfort there is little growth. And in growth there is little comfort. Yahweh disciplines the one that He loves. Let that sink in. Yahweh disciplines the one that He loves. If Yahweh is disciplining you, that means that He loves you. And this should answer our questions of Why does the world get away with what they do? Or how can men and women act so obscenely and it seems they're never punished, but they're living just fine in the world? Well, the answer to that is Yahweh disciplines those whom He loves. Some people don't get disciplined. Some people are Esau's, not Jacob's. Some people just roam wildly no restraints, no boundaries, and they never get caught. They never get disciplined. Thus, they are not loved as children are loved. But if you are disciplined, Yahweh is showing you that He loves you. If you're punished, it's Yahweh's way of saying, I'm your dad, you're my child, I need to teach you a lesson. He's a loving father, just like me with David. Any time that I punish David, I have David's best interest in my mind. I'm not a dad that just punishes him 
because that's how I get my kicks. I have his best interest in mind when I steer and I guide him as a little six-year-old boy in this life. And Yahweh has my best interest in mind when he punishes me and he whoops me and he chastises me. And he tells me, do not grow faint, Matthew, when you are disciplined. Do not grow weary of my correction because I discipline my sons and my daughters. I discipline them. That's what verses 7 through 8 are all about. Look at them. Verse 7, endure it as discipline. Yahweh is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Endure suffering. The word endure is there for a reason. It means to endure. As in, ugh, how much longer do I have to go through this? I cannot take this. And suffering means suffering. It means that you suffer. When you suffer, it hurts. This text does not say that it does not hurt. It doesn't say that. This text says that it does hurt, and that's why you have to endure it, because it's not easy. Endure suffering. But when you are suffering, here's the great part, when you're suffering, Yahweh is dealing with you as His child. That's beautiful, isn't it? He's dealing with you as His child, as His son or as His daughter. If you're without discipline, you're illegitimate. You're fatherless. A loving father always disciplines his children. A father that doesn't discipline does not love. That's the author's point here in the natural. If you've got a dad that just lets his children run wild, you do not not have a dad of love. You have a dad actually, according to Proverbs, of hate and not of love. Verse 9, Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? As a grown man with five children of my own, been married for almost 17 years now, coming on, I've now learned to appreciate the discipline of my dad when I was little. I have. I did not understand it then. I did not like it then. It wasn't pleasant then. Matter of fact, it was painful then. And I wondered, does he hate me sometimes? As a grown man now with five children of my own, one almost 17 years old, and David is six. I love my children. And I've disciplined my children. Not perfectly. I've made a lot of mistakes but I discipline them. Why? Because I want them to learn and I want them to grow up and be men and women, respected men and women in whatever city or county or state that they live in. And I want them to add something to society for the good, for the good. I've learned to appreciate what my dad did to me when I was little, punishing me. I now know that it was for my good. I'll never forget one day, I don't know, maybe we'd been married for around 10 years. I can't remember. And I went over to my mom and dad's and I sat down with them. I told them I wanted to talk to them. I sat them in front of me and I said, 
I want to tell you how much I appreciate you rearing me with discipline in the Christian faith. It almost brings tears to my eyes even now while I remember that. That was like a weight off of my body because I didn't always treat my parents uh, like I should have, should have. I think we've got some people in here that can attest to that. I don't know, maybe you always obeyed your mom and dad. I didn't. <laughs> I disobeyed them a lot. But I'm very thankful that they didn't just let me get away with it. I'm thankful that they disciplined me. Verse 9 talks about respecting a father that disciplines you. And I do respect my dad for that. But it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If we respect an earthly father that punishes us, how much more the father of spirits? How much more should we respect Father Yahweh? Verse 10 kind of expounds on that. Verse 10 says, For they disciplined us, that is our earthly dads, for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But He does it for our benefit so that we can share His holiness. See, when Yahweh disciplines us, it's for our benefit, according to the text. It's for our betterment. It's to make us stronger. It's to make us more like Him, really. Look at the end of verse 10. So that we can share in His holiness. Learning lessons builds character. Doing something wrong and being punished and chastised builds wisdom. Amen. When Yahweh punishes you, listen to me, saints. When you do something wrong, I don't care if anybody else knows about it. Yahweh knows. I don't care if it's this small or this big. Sin is the transgression of the law. You violate any of them, you violate the law. When you do something wrong and you know about it and something happens to you that's not good, it is highly likely that if you're Yahweh's child, if you're Yahweh's child, He's disciplining you and punishing you. You receive that. Receive it. I've had some things happen in my life over the past few years, and I believe Yahweh is still punishing me for it. And the other day I felt it really hard in my mind. And I used to fight it. But I'm learning to admit it, and I'm learning to receive it. I bowed my head that day and I asked him for his forgiveness again. And then I said, lay it on me, Father. Teach me. Discipline me. Give me my punishment. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be a better man. If Yahweh's disciplining you, you stop, you repent, you receive that. He's teaching you in that discipline. He's training you in that discipline. Now you might think that that sounds rough. And you know what? It does. And it is. But what does our text today say? It says endure suffering. It says submit to the Father. And it says don't faint or grow weary when He's correcting you. Verse 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Anything that is going to help you is going to hurt you first. If you've never done any juicing and all you've ate is junk your whole life and you get that juicer out and you run some carrot and some apple and some spinach through that juicer and you drink it, it's going to hurt you first before it helps you. Amen? It's not going to agree with your stomach. The other day, me and Elijah did some push-ups together. I can't remember the last time I'd done push-ups. But we got to talking about how many of you think we could do. And so I got down and did some push-ups. And I was sore for three days, brothers and sisters, from them push-ups. It was painful. Discipline is not meant to be enjoyable, else it wouldn't be discipline. A runner doesn't get to the point where he can run a marathon by going to the track once a month and running for five minutes and never building up a sweat, never hurting, never gasping for breath. No, a runner pushes himself harder and harder and harder until it hurts. He makes himself get to the point of pain. Why? Because it's training. The tough stuff is what makes people tough. And all this translates over into the spiritual. The roughest times in life do the most work for us. The roughest times. You think back to what's made you a great person and what you've been through and what you've been healed from. The valleys you've went through and then you've come out of them and you've felt victorious after that battle. And as Brother Arnold often likes to say, and I believe it, the greater the battle, the greater the victory. You think about those times and how that you know things now, looking back, that you would not have known had you not have been through that in your life. And how that now you can, and this has happened to me frequently recently, and how that now you can minister, which means serve, in ways that you could not before. And how when someone comes up to you in tears and they say, I need your help, brother. I need your help, sister. I need your help, saint. You can now sympathize with the feeling of their infirmities just like Yeshua can sympathize with the feeling of our infirmities because Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. Do you know how you're able to sympathize with other people if you go through what they've been through? I was telling somebody the other day, my granddad lost his daughter. He's still alive. He's 72. His daughter died at age 41. I don't know what my granddad feels. I know how it feels to lose my closest aunt to me. She was my closest aunt. We had the same birthday, actually. I know how that feels because I've been through that. I don't know how my granddad feels. But there's people in the world that know how granddaddy feels. Why? Because they've been through exactly what he's been through. They lost their child. No daddy is supposed to lose his child before he goes. The normal procedure in life is that the elder man, the dad, dies first and the child later. But people that have went through that, I'm not saying I understand all about it. I'm not saying I know all the answers to all the questions. All I'm saying is this. Is my granddad now, if he happenstances upon a person who has lost their child, he can minister to them in a way that he could not before he lost Aunt Gina. 
You can sympathize with people's infirmities when you go through what they go through. I think that everybody needs a real flat, hard fall in life so that they get plucked out all of that self-righteousness that should not be in there, that's in every one of us. And they can bow their head and realize they too are human. They too can make a mistake and can sympathize and be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of Yahweh. Hallelujah. I think we all need to go through these times and these trials and these sufferings because they make us stronger people and saints of Almighty Yahweh. The roughest times make you come forth as gold. The hotter the furnace, the purer the gold. And whether we like to admit it or not, I don't don't always like to admit it, saints, but whether we like to admit it or not, you and I are full of burrs and full of rough spots that need to be sanded off. And the grittiest, roughest sandpaper works the best. Hebrews 12.11 says that painful discipline later on yields the fruit of peace and righteousness. What does Yeshua say in John 15? I think it's a parallel with this. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father's the husband and the gardener. Every branch in me that brings forth fruit, he prunes so that it can bring forth more fruit. The pruning process is not pretty. Those crepe myrtles look like they're next to nothing when they get pruned at that season of the year. But they come back, the one sister least planted, they come back every year fuller and fuller and fuller. But I want to be more peaceful another way, Brother Matthew. That's not how it works. I want to be more righteous without going through all of this suffering. That's not how it works. If it was up to me, I'd try to make it work like that. But it's not up to me. I think like a human being. It's up to Father Yahweh. He thinks infinitely on another scale. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts as the heavens are above the earth. And His ways higher than mine. It doesn't work that way, saints. Instead, verse 13 or excuse me, verses 12 and 13. Therefore strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Your hands are tired. Mine are too. They're hurt. And many times I've wanted to give up because my hands hurt so bad. Your knees are weak. And mine feel like they're going to buckle at times because of things I've went through in my life. But it's only through hurting hands and weak knees that we receive what we need to receive. And the reason that you will receive it, saint, is not because you are so strong. Rich Mullins wrote a song back in the 80s, I believe it was, maybe early 90s. One of my favorite ones still to listen to. And the title of the song is, We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are. The reason you'll receive what you need to receive is not because you're so strong. It's not because you can believe in yourself. Please stop listening to all those crazy modern Christian cliches. Because they didn't come from the Bible. They came from Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey and other atheists and agnostics. Stop believing those. The reason you'll receive it What you need to receive is because of our Messiah. He is strong. 
He is strong. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. That's why you receive it. He has won the battle. He has conquered the enemy. Everything should point to him. Everything should point to him. Yahweh calls him the heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. And then Paul says that if we're in him, we're joint heirs with the Messiah. Heirs of Yahweh and joint heirs with the Son. Yahweh knows infinitely what each of us need to undergo. And His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. You feel lame, but you want what is lame to be healed, the author says, not permanently dislocated. You wonder, Brother Matthew, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't choose this. I didn't want this to take place. Why does this have to happen to me? I don't understand. It's different for different people. I consider myself a very blessed man, naturally, by Yahweh. But there's trials that I've had to go through in my life. And I wonder, Yahweh, why couldn't you have put this trial on somebody else and given me that one that that person over there has? I can deal with that one better than this one. He says, no, Matthew. I know what you need to learn. And so I have to put you through the trial that best fits Matthew or best fits Randy or best fits Lon or Danny or Brother Dan. The trials may be different, but let's not think that any of them are less than the other. We all go through those heartaches in life. Receive His discipline. Take it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Yahweh is molding and He's shaping His children into exactly the piece of pottery that He wants us to be. And I know this, as Romans 8 says, that the sufferings in this life are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in the life to come. This life is but a drop in the bucket. If you really believe in eternal life, I do. I believe in eternal life, immortality for the righteous. And this life is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. We'll get to that here more in just a second. So today in this sermon, it's not a call for your best life now. It's a call for your best life later. Today you aren't hearing a get-rich-quick scheme. And today I'm not telling you how to speak something into existence. Today I'm being your pastor. And I'm keeping things real because I love you. I love you. I'm telling you to receive Yahweh's discipline, punishment, hardships, calamities, and endure suffering as discipline. Put your hope in His Word Take seriously what we have read here today. And so I end this sermon with an exhortation from this same author in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's read. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, know this. This is something I'm still learning. I had to learn it. I'm still learning it. You do not have to sprint the whole race. It's a long race. You don't have to sprint the whole race. It's not a 50-yard dash. It's a long marathon, this life is. And I know that even today, some of you are tired. I know you are. Spiritually, I speak spiritually. Endurance means a steady pace. 
steady pace. Not a turning around and going back. Sometimes you might have to stop and rest and breathe. But you keep going forward. Endurance means a steady pace. Sprinting means you wear yourself out quick. That's not what we want. We don't want to burn out. We don't want to sprint. Stop sprinting. Start pacing yourself so that you can endure, as verse 1 says. Verse 2, look at this. Verse 2, so key, keeping our eyes on Yeshua, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of Yahweh's throne. In our attempt in this life to endure suffering as discipline, where should we look? Believe in ourselves? No. To this world? No. We should keep our eyes on the source, the author, and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. That's Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because He endured. He endured the cross. What helped him endure the cross? He set his eyes on the joy that was in front of him. And he's got that joy now. The verse 2 tells us he's seated at the right hand of Yahweh. He's got that joy now. And that's what we've got to set our eyes on too. Our eyes, not always on the here and now. It's good to be blessed in the here and now. We should occupy until Yeshua comes back. But we've got to set our eyes on the new heavens and the new earth in which dwells righteousness, where that joy, that glory that we'll receive, that immortality that we'll receive will last forever. Forever doesn't end. Have you ever thought about or tried to think about forever? I have. It blows my mind. Brother Andy and I have tried to do it riding down the road, and I thought, man, just think about living for a thousand years, and you're just getting started. And you think for another thousand years, and I mean, you're eating the best grapes and the best spinach salad and pecans and all this kind of stuff. And you're talking with Moses and all this is lasting forever in another thousand years and it's just getting started. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross and He despised the shame. He was put to shame, spat upon. Thorns piercing in His skull. Blood dripping down. Mopped. Slapped. Crucified. But He endured it and He despised the shame because of the joy that was set before Him. And we're to keep our eyes upon Yeshua. When we undergo suffering, that's what the author is trying to teach us. Verse 3, as we close, it says, For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. When you think of becoming weary and losing heart and giving up, Look to the Messiah. Don't look to Brother Matthew. Don't look to any other man. Because we're all in the same boat. We all need a mediator. He was the mediator. You look to Him. He endured the cross. You don't want to grow weary. You don't want to lose heart. You think about Him. He kept on chugging along. He kept on pressing forward. He went through it for his brothers and his sisters. He is strong enough. He is good enough. He has ran the race. He has finished the course. He has kept the faith for you. And if you keep your eyes on him, you will finish the race. You will finish the race. And you'll receive that joy because you are a joint heir with him.
Oh, I hope you get this in your spirit today. It's so important. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for keeping your vows and your oaths. Thank you for your son. Help us, Yahweh. Give us strength. Let us receive your discipline. Allow us to want to let it do what it needs to do. Help me, Yahweh Father. Receive this lesson that I preach today. I pray all these things through your Son, our kinsman, Redeemer. Amen.